Hello and welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Sandra Lewin and I am your host. I'm on the mission to make insurance a career choice, not a chance. Together with my amazing guests, we are sharing our career stories, tips and much more and hope to inspire to join and remain in insurance. The industry is changing, so it couldn't be a better time to showcase the fantastic women across the insurance market. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. Inga, I'm very happy you're here and you've found time to record this podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you. Um, I always start this podcast asking the guests uh, about their career and really answering the question, is insurance career a choice or a chance? I wonder who says it's a career choice. <laughs> I'm still looking. <laughs> And it's a bit sad, isn't it, that it's so seldom actually the career of choice. And for me, it wasn't either. I wanted to come to London. I grew up in a small town called Newbury, where it was quite small until Vodafone moved in and it got much bigger. But at that time, it was a very small market town. And for me, I just wanted to come up to the bright lights of London. And I wanted, therefore, to get a job. And I was offered two jobs. One was to be a trainee accountant, Civil Aviation Authority, and one was to be a trainee underwriter with a prudential at that time. And I didn't really know which one to choose, but the crew were going to be paying me £600 more per year. Right. So I chose insurance. Yes, and that's how I got into insurance. <laughs> Brilliant. And that's what a career you've had. Um, you know, you, you've made it, I think, all the way to the top that many people imagine being the top. And for many, I think it was of an impossible role being a first female CEO of Lloyd's. In 300, when you put the perspective of first female CEO of a company, okay, absolutely an achievement. But when you think about the history of 360 years, that's when it really becomes a, becomes a bit of a different perspective. Did you always want it to be a CEO? Was there a point when you kind of thought that's why? That's where I'm going. It evolved. When I started in the city of London, I started in Lime Street, mm -hmm. where Lloyd's is today. I wasn't in the Lloyd's market today, but I was close to it. I wasn't actually interested in my career, right? to be honest. Mm -hmm. I got into sport. First of all, I used to row, and I used to have to leave the office early enough to get down to Chiswick in West London. Almost every night, we had Fridays off. Uh, every night to go out training on the River Thames. And then I started playing rugby. I played rugby for Wasps for 12 years. And that was the most important thing for me. And I wasn't even focused on my career, although I did do my insurance exams mm -hmm. and I got qualified. That was really because my employer at that time insisted that people who came in got qualified qualifications mm. if they were going to be on the underwriting or the claim side you know some of one of the technical sides of the business they insisted so I did my insurance studies and I, I did all my insurance exams but to me it was about sport and I didn't ever imagine when I was in the 80s coming into the city of London looking at these actually Lloyd's was the most scary place on earth for me. I was one female underwriter out of about 35 of us mm. in an open plan office the thought of going into the Lloyds building with all of those men, a very yeah. few women, because women had only been allowed in the room of Lloyds just some few years before in the 70s. 
much. Mm -hmm. So they hadn't even been there very long. There weren't many of them. And I just, it was the most scary place. And I never, ever imagined that, A, I would have turned out to be the same frauds, but actually that I would be a CEO of anything. I was an underwriter. That's what I did. And I did that for years. And it wasn't until I worked for an organization that took career management seriously, or I suppose people management seriously, yeah. that I got an opportunity to be a team leader. Mm -hmm. And I've never thought about even managing a small team. But I moved from the Prudential to, it was GE Insurance Solutions. They've sold all of their insurance businesses now. But at that time, GE General Electric owned these mm -hmm. insurance and reinsurance companies. But they were very, very good at talent management. And they were looking to promote women. And according to, it was a U.S. company, so U.S. terminology, ethnic minorities in the U.S. term. Yeah. But for me, it was it was the fact that they wanted to promote women. And I was one of the very few female underwriters at GE, and I was offered promotion. But first of all, I, I said no. I was so panicked. Wow. Drop. I couldn't even think about taking it. Yeah. I think I managed a team of three people, and I'd worked for 13 years. That's the first time. First time I'd managed anyone. So I did not start off ambitious. I did not start off thinking that I would go up the, the ladder, um, let alone ever be the CEO of Lloyd's. Right. Okay. That's very interesting because I think the companies, there's one thing around building your own confidence and wanting to take on the challenge and, and move forward, but companies do play an important part in that. And um, there's this there's a topic around are we ticking boxes here but I don't think I think we do still need those programs that encourage women we do need those um programs that promote and take people management as you said seriously and equality and diversity what's your thoughts around that ticking box or trying to get the right numbers is what's your thoughts around that kind of thinking I am very much of the view that you need to be Absolutely proactive on this. Mm. I am a different generation. So I grew up at a time where you nobody really thought about proactively <clears throat> or getting out of there to promote someone who was a bit different. Yeah. They would, I mean, it just wasn't heard or wasn't spoken about. Yeah. It was a very sexist environment that I worked in at the beginning. Um, now I've got so frustrated when I look around and I look at the lack of progress of the women in general, because I always look at the top, the C-suite. Yeah. yeah. CEO particularly, but then also the C-suite and what roles the women are in. And I, I do still, you know, I feel a bit disappointed that the lack of progress. And, and this started to dawn on me many years ago. I was actually at this time, I was the CEO of a company in Switzerland. I knew a senior woman in finance for one of the big Swiss banks. Right. She was exactly the same age as me, which at that time was 47. She says, Oh, Inga, I'm giving up the bank. She said, I'm fed up with the politics. I'm fed up with the lack of equality, <clears throat> the, the treatment, the, the, the slight, we call them microaggressions. We didn't even have that term in our, in our, no. in our box those days. But, you know, things that made you feel that you were different and yeah. weren't treated equally yeah. were going on. She said, Inga, I'm leaving. And I said to her, please don't leave. She said, no, no, I'm going to start my own business up, be an entrepreneur. Now, many women are choosing to do this, and I, I absolutely get it, because they are fed up with the things that go on sometimes in, in the workplace of big corporations. Yeah. 
But I said to her, if you leave, if we all leave, if I now choose to leave, who is going to break down the barriers for the other women to come along behind us? I was really upset with her. And we're still friends today, many years later. But we talk about it still and, and about the fact that you do need people to stay and somehow be resilient enough to stay and push for change. Yes. And I have, since that 47-year-old Inga, I then decided I needed to really start being serious about trying to keep women in the world of insurance, promote women in the world of insurance, be proactive, have targets, have quotas. Quotas are obviously more of a, more a government or a legal thing, but companies can set their own targets and measure against them, just like any other business target. So I changed. I, didn't, I wasn't like that when I was young. Mm. I'm a firm believer in now because I, I fundamentally don't think we're making enough, quick enough progress. But I have to say, when I speak to some of the particularly women starting out in their careers, they often say, well, I don't want to be, you know, just someone that can, you know, tick, tick yeah. a box and say, oh, I've achieved that. I don't want to be seen as the token, whatever. Now, mm -hmm. I say, get over it. Yeah. I was at GE. I was specifically chosen because I was a woman. I yes. didn't know that. I only found out many years later when I got more senior as a manager that talent management meant making choices like this and proactively doing something. I have no regrets. If I hadn't been that token, yeah. I would never have got to be the CEO of Lloyd's. Never. I'm absolutely convinced of it. It's yes. only because I was lucky enough to work in a company that in those days, in the 90s, took talent management seriously and was very proactive about having diverse teams and making sure there was diversity of thought, experience, and all the rest of it at the table. Because, and I, I once spoke at a lunch to Jeff Imelt. I had the chance, he was the CEO of GE Group at the time, 350,000 people. And there he was, and I, I was at, at the lunch table with him and said, Jeff, why do you support this promotion of women in this way? He said, because there are centuries where men, men were the only choice, 100% quota for men. We need to kickstart the change to get equality going. And that's what we need to keep doing because we're still not making fast enough progress. That's, that's very that's very good to hear that, that was happening then. And then you would hope there would be significantly more men thinking that way and actually opening that door and opening the mind to think of equality. And, and I think there's enough papers to prove now that having diverse teams, especially at the senior level, brings benefits to the business as well um you touched on becoming the token uh in in the journey of in your career journey i've come across few women in the market now that are determined to be on that trajectory and making to the ceo and making becoming a chairwoman because they believe strongly that until they get to the the top they are unable there's only so much they can drive change they feel like that when you become of certain power because that's basically and recognition as well that's where you can really implement and make changes what advice would you give to women that want to are determined to get there and they are okay to be that token and they're okay to you know push through them and open the doors well the the, the rule or the the um the guidance i got i give to all people and it's not just for women mm. But it's so true, and I did not know this that early on in my career. I got I, something else I learned at GE, 
And you may be familiar with it. It's, it's the pie model, and it's very, very easy. It's P is for performance, I is for image, and E is for exposure. Yeah. Now, when I was working away in the London market, before I got my first opportunity to move to the US, which is really, I suppose, a major career break for me, I was head down, working hard, doing a job, thinking I would get recognized. Yeah. I saw my peer managers, male, getting sent on this management training course or getting this opportunity. And I thought, why do I never get that? And I realized that I, I, the more I talked to people, particularly HR at that time at GE, I, they told me about the PI model. And they said, you can't just do the P, the performance. You can't just sit there and do a fantastic job. You have to do a good job, but that is not it. You have to think about your image. You have to think about how you're coming across to others. And the only way you actually know your image is to ask other people. Right. You have, you can have a, a view of yourself. You, I used to think I was this sort of cold ice maiden mm -hmm. until I got some feedback. And then I heard from people that actually they perceived me very differently. I felt completely underconfident. And then people would say, but you don't come across like that. You know, all of these things. Think about your image. Think, get the feedback and help, get people to help you have the image they want. Take it seriously. And sometimes the feedback can be very personal. And almost the more personal and accurate it is, the better. Yes. Don't give fluff, no. blah, blah. Give real feedback. But the I is important. How do you come across? And then the E is the exposure. And the more and more senior you get, the E gets even more important. You have to have exposure. Today, sadly, particularly as you go through the ranks, a hiring manager, when they're looking at a list of candidates, the first thing they naturally do is look at those that they know. Yeah. Then they're asking other people that they know, do they know any of them? So when you're discussing candidates, the people who are known by others tend to get the support just naturally. And it takes longer and perhaps a bit more effort to put those unknown people high, as high on the list as the ones that you know. Yeah. So this is what happens. So therefore, your exposure is very important because you have to get known. You have to get known outside of the circle normally known in. You have to do strategic networking. And I don't mean just going to some party or mm -hmm. event and speaking to the people you know. You have to be strategic about it. And when I came back to London, I'd worked outside of London for 12 years. I'd been to the US, I'd been to France, Germany, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. I was now coming back to the London insurance market for my for the CEO of Canopius. Mm -hmm. And I'd been away for 12 years. I thought, well, I better get to know everyone again. Mm -hmm. I, there were many brokers that I still knew, many people in the market. But senior people, my peers, if you like, because now I was a CEO, but I don't know many of them. Mm -hmm. And so I set my assistant a task to get me tea, coffee, lunch, dinner, elevator, chat. I didn't care what it was. With all the CEOs in the Lloyd's market right. and the 20 largest broker CEOs, I said, you've got a year to get me those meetings. Yeah. And she looked at me and sort of thought, wow, she, you know, as an assistant, or a sort of, so she called herself a secretary probably at the time, she'd yeah. never been given actually an objective before like that. Right. You know? Yeah. Here she was, she had an objective, a performance objective. Yeah. She felt really good about it. She got all of those done. I did them. So by the time 
the first year was up, I'd had about 80 odd discussions of various sorts with all of these CEOs. And I think there was one female, I think they were all men. And that meant that when the CEO of Lloyd's came, when the chair was hiring, mm-hmm. she asks everyone in the market, of course, who, who do you know? Do you know Inga? Oh, yes, I know Inga. It's such a, an important thing. And you don't often know at the time when you're doing this what, what the repercussions could be. No. But I learned it years ago. You have to do the networking. Sometimes it's the most uncomfortable. And depending what level you are in an organization, you might not be networking with CEOs, but you can even ask your manager to open some doors for you. You can volunteer to do cross-department work, project, get, get involved in project things, that break down the silos, make sure you go to events and seek out the people that you don't know. <laughs> you know, this is hard work, and particularly for introverts, it's not necessarily very comfortable, but I can assure you it pays off because the E of the pie is almost the most important. That's very, very good tips. And there is a famous marketeer, um, Simon Sinek, who says, your personal brand is what people say about you and not your career. And it's very much in line with what you said. And networking, I often talk about networking actually with a number of guests here because it is a big fear to many. And I, I certainly used to fear a lot. What would you say for someone that is afraid to put themselves into those networking environments that they don't know anyone? Because a lot of people do come with their friends. And I think the real power is when you come on your own. What would you say is kind of a one tip to just get you through that door and get that conversation going? Well, I would always have some sort of question lined up. Um, Depending what the event is. Just make sure you've got a question to ask or maybe three questions to ask if they're a little reluctant at the beginning to answer the first, you know, they're sort of just monosyllables. Just have some specific questions Mm -hmm. because it's not about you coming in and and suddenly blurting out all about you. People aren't necessarily interested. But often if you ask questions of them, they'll want to answer and they'll give you their opinion. And that's how you can do it. But you've also got to have the confidence if it's physical environment. And there are many more physical environments now where you have the networking opportunities. You can, you've got to insert yourself into a group of people, the strangers that you don't know. Yeah. And you just have to, before you go to the event, set yourself full, set yourself the goal, maybe even share that goal with someone else that you're going to tell about afterwards. So yeah, that you've almost got the pressure. It could be a friend, it could be your partner at home. Mm-hmm. You've told them that's your goal so that you know that you've got to go and report back yeah. to someone that you did or didn't do it. Set yourself these little goals and they do not need to be big. Yeah. And even and other things, for instance, being talked over at meetings or having the idea as the woman, but two other men repeat it and they get the credit coming up with the idea that it was your idea in the first place. This happens still today. Um, things like that. Um, you've just got to make sure that you are putting yourself out there and you're not afraid to repeat something that someone has said, mm-hmm. that you're giving yourself enough airspace, airtime, because I've noticed over the years, and there are gender differences, and we should understand and, and appreciate that they won't necessarily go away. Mm-hmm. And women, they want to get on with tasks a lot of the time at work. You know, you're very work-focused. You, you see a lot of this stuff as um, a waste of time. You've got to get on to the next task and then you've probably got to go home and do multiple things. So you don't necessarily 
at the end of a meeting chat with the others at the end of the meeting. Yeah. You don't introduce your topic deeply enough because you want to get on with it mm. because you know you want the meeting to finish on time all these things but you in a way you've got to learn to do these things because they actually fundamentally matter for you in your development in the long run it could become your task to do right yes. if you like to think that way then yes. you say i have one more task at the end and that yes. is to network or engage um which is great you speak about exposure so the e part of it there is an increasing number of people being on social media and utilizing social media for networking purposes. Um, what role do you think social media has to play in that? I think you need to ask a different generation of that question. Right. Uh, my, I mean, I remember being the CEO of Lloyd's and I had reverse mentors, so yeah. people who were in their first three to five years of their career. Yeah. And I was asking them advice. Yeah. Right? They were really mentoring me. And they were saying, you need to be known, Inga. We no longer want this old-fashioned hierarchy. You're the CEO. We want to know you as a person. We want to know what you do. Mm. This was very much the feedback I was getting from a very, very different generation. Mm. I went on social media. I wrote I did all my own posts and took photos and all, all this sort of thing. I don't really do much of that anymore. Mm. Because, well, A, I'm in a different place. I'm not looking for a new executive role or anything. Of course. So I don't perhaps need it in that way. And I don't particularly need to promote myself in the way that mm. people might need to. But there's, I think there's also a generational thing because when the, the younger generation today, there's so much about the social media. Yeah. They're taking photos of absolutely everything. It's not my generation. And therefore, I think we've got to ask the people who really use it and know how to use it that question because I'm certainly not the expert. And I think that's that's an interesting perspective because what I do hear sometimes from younger people in the market is they they see the benefit of social media and they network through social media and it's really helping them to connect with people. But they also get comments from and that is probably the only way from older generation that you know if you are on social media and more active, no one is going to take you seriously. I can't promote you. That's not professional. Um, where in fact. If we think of the future generation of CEOs, they are all dancing on TikTok right now. So how do we, in this moment of transition, how can you have that conversation if you are a younger person in the market? I believe there's no difference to having an, a better understanding about the gender differences, mm. having understanding about racial differences, having a better understanding of someone with a disability if you're someone without a disability. Yeah. If you're from the LGBT community, it's good that you can have an understanding of the straight community and vice versa. And it's no difference with the generations. And multi-generational workforces are here for sure. And particularly with things like the retirement age is having to go up in many, many countries because the pension pots are just not big enough. The need to have the multi-generations understand the other generations is so important. And that that means facilitating those discussions, people being open and curious to learn. Not everyone can be like that. Some people's mindset is very fixed. They they believe that they know better, particularly with the seniority, someone who's been working for 30 years. They'll look at someone who's been working for five years and think that maybe their opinion isn't worthy. We have to get them to understand by having proper constructive conversations to learn about their, their viewpoints. And it's the only way you can get to break down or to make a multi-generational workforce be efficient together.
which is very important at the moment, looking at the statistics of the shortage of um, employees in insurance and talent in insurance. I always say, yes, there's, and there's so much amazing work being done trying to attract young talent, but the retention piece, which you like as well when it comes to women, I think that's the area that we really need to encourage. And there's these kind of conversation, educational conversation that will play a big part of it. I mean, I've, I've actually asked, coming up to this interview, I've asked quite a few of them if they know that you were part of what is now known as the Insurance Soccer Club. And it's not known very well that you were one of the original uh, women at that table. Um, and, and I know Barbara Schaffner is currently running this, but thinking back to those original conversations when you got together at that table with the female leaders, and we spoke today about things are not moving fast enough. What do you think it will take to get to that 50-50 split at the board table or, or literally only females at the board table? Well, of course, we don't want only females at the board no. table. <laughs> and this is the thing. This is why we all have to keep catching ourselves out to make sure we've got the diversity. Yes. Now, when we first set up the Insurance Supper Club, we didn't know what we were actually going to achieve. We just thought because the men seem to have their own natural networks, and there were so many of them, we thought, well, let's try it. And we just sat around all these women together, just talking amongst ourselves, and then it started to get more professional. Yeah. And then we realised, actually, we've got to get the men in the conversation because we can't do this without the men. So, of course, it's evolved into this major programme now. It's fantastic, and it supports women. And during my time at Lloyd's, when I was up against all sorts of criticism for the changes I was driving, Digital Supper Club was only supportive, particularly the women I'd known from them right at the beginning, because you've got deep, trusted relationships and you can talk about anything. Mm. And they kept me going. They yeah. gave me the energy to keep going. So you've got to have these support networks to keep mm. moving things forward. Um, but you've got to have, it, you know, it, it's no, it's so complex to really make a difference. You need to approach this from every single angle, from below, from sideways, from above, from regulators, with leadership, with action, with campaigners, with targets. It is, it's an absolute minefield. Yeah. And we've got so many new consulting firms, entrepreneurs going off and doing DEI consulting. Yeah. We need it, but... We're still going, I think, through a forming phase about how is it all going to end? How is it all going to pan out at the end yes. of the day? But we need this amount of work. We need this almost amount of confusion just because that's what you do when before things become normal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, they're all being formed. Everyone's storming over this. Then it'll become the norm. Um, now, I believe because you've got companies now putting money behind this stuff, yeah. we will accelerate a bit. But sadly, the, there are still enough people of influence and power who aren't moving fast enough. Yeah. But it, it will happen. I believe it will happen. There is so much momentum now um, with so many eyes looking and examining and measuring and people choosing to leave if the culture doesn't fit them and things. Yeah. So the workforce themselves can actually start having a big influence on this. And they certainly do, because uh, I do hear often women saying, um, so there's been incidents where I've heard of women getting a job offer where pay is significantly more 
but they don't join the company because of their culture. Um, and it's a word of mouth, right? They, they've never worked there, but the, the word of mouth, and especially when we talk about Lloyd's Market, which is a London market, which is fairly small, and you do, you can always find someone that works there, um, that they just give up and they don't go to those companies. So uh, that's a very good point that talent itself starts to drive the, the change. And I do also sometimes think, is it a, do we have that problem in insurance because of the history? Because I talk to friends of mine that work in completely different media and completely different organizations. And it will never, yes, there are conversations about diversity and equality, but it's never to the extent that we talk about here. They don't have the amount of examples that we have on a daily basis here. And it does make me wonder that the challenge that we also have is we have to unpack history and then move forward. Or is it is it because we start speaking about it that it's just a bit more vocal and insurance to other industries? I, I've only worked in the shop, so yeah. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I do recall there were time I'm giving going to give a live interview at Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sky, their office at that time, I don't know if still, their studio was in, just on the other side of London Bridge, so by the London Bridge station. Mm-hmm. I remember going there and I was waiting to go on live. I was having my makeup done and there were two guys the technicians working for sky and one of them got, got said oh did you have to go to that dni event last night and the other guy said yeah you know i said yeah he said i was working i was so grateful i didn't have to go to it and that was some years ago yeah and i can remember thinking don't they know that there's a female ceo sitting right here listening to it, it didn't seem to affect them yeah. they didn't care so i <laughs> We have to make this topic not threatening, mm. interesting, as interesting as any sort of business or technical topics have. But in all the years I've learned about this, there are different things you see that hook different people. Yeah. Something else needed to happen for those two technical TV guys, right, to get them even thinking it was a serious topic. Yeah. You know, whatever the messaging was coming down, whatever the organisation was doing mm. in terms of organising things, it wasn't grabbing their attention. And that's what I think has to be the next evolution of all this. Mm. Now, insurers, I believe we're doing not a bad job at the moment. Um, And I certainly choose my board roles based on the approach to diversity and inclusion. Um, I don't want to be involved in an organisation that doesn't talk about this seriously. Mm. Um, And I just think there, there are things happen, but you've got to remember that you can't just have a very linear program. You've got to be able to grab people not only by facts, figures, carrot sticks, get the emotional side of it. And it'll take something different for everyone. And that I think is one of the challenges, whether it's in the insurance world or elsewhere. I mean that's very from a lot of conversation I'll have, one thing that people always come back to what they enjoy about insurance is the human side. And I think you've touched on that, that we have to come back to that human side as well when it comes to change and inequality, which um, maybe is not done enough yet. So that's something to, but that comes with vulnerability, that comes with people sharing the stories so it's a learning process. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you and there's so much and so many questions I could keep on asking. But to close this episode, um, I always ask everyone, what was the one thing or two or three um, that you could experience 
thanks to being in the insurance industry that you think you may have not been able to otherwise? Well, I was hooked right at the beginning because I went straight into reinsurance. Mm -hmm. And I, my eyes were opened as to how important insurance was for society because it was all about catastrophes happening around the world and it could have been in an earthquake in Mexico or a typhoon in Japan, you know. And I was I had my eyes open to say, right, these disasters happen and I was used to seeing on the news the tragic scenes of, of people's homes being lost, people be, you know, losing their lives. I I saw that, but now I was seeing another side, I was thinking, Wow, we now pay money and we help restore their lives. And that was kind of what hooked me and I I'm so glad that I appreciated that. And I always remember going to a trade, not a trade fair, sorry, you know, a fair for students, an MBA students looking, choosing their careers. Mm. Going, I was working at another insurance company. I think it was in Budapest. I went along and I, I talked about this human side of insurance and what we do. And all these people were in there saying, I didn't think about insurance like that. They just thought of it as numbers and things. Um, and that, I saw that side and that always will stay with me. That's, I like that. That's a beautiful way of, of summarizing this whole conversation as well. Thank you so much and um, all the best in your sort of ventures as you go. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for including me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Help us spread the word by following us on LinkedIn and TikTok at 100 Women in Insurance. Rate our podcast and share it on your social media platforms. Remember, this is a podcast for you, so your opinion matters to us. If you have any recommendations or comments, please get in touch through our social media. We would love to hear from you. See you in our next episode. <laughs>